You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but we want to start with some breaking news. Two Metro Vancouver police officers being detained in Cuba, all in relation to a criminal investigation involving a 17-year-old girl. A Vancouver police officer is allegedly being accused of assaulting the teen near Veradero. The VPD officer's friend, who is a Port Moody officer, has been detained allegedly as a material witness. The passports of both officers have been seized. The VPD confirming tonight that they have sent a sergeant to investigate. More details as we get them. Right now, though, to renewed hope tonight of solving a 30-year-old B.C. murder mystery. A young Victoria couple brutally killed in Washington state. As Global News first reported last night, new DNA technology gives us a much better picture of who investigators are looking for. Our Remina Dea is in Everett, Washington, where the reveal happened today. Remina? Sophie, investigators in Washington state have had the murder suspect's DNA for three decades, but no match in American or Canadian police databases. Now, for the first time, they have a face. The killer, likely Caucasian of northern European descent, with green or hazel eyes and light brown hair. Here he is at 25, 45 and 65 years of age. I haven't seen it yet. The sister of one of the victims can't look. Why is this so overwhelming for you right now? Because that could be the likeness of the person that killed my brother. That's tough. The families of Saanich High School sweethearts, Jay Cook and Tanya Van Kylenborg, hopeful. The new evidence generated through revolutionary DNA technology will finally lead to an arrest. DNA phenotyping can take DNA from an unknown suspect and predict what he looks like. It's not 100% accurate, but they've had some successes. And that's what we're looking for. Anything at this time. It's been 31 years. 18-year-old Van Kylenborg and 20-year-old Cook left Saanich bound for Seattle November 18, 1987. Investigators believe they may have picked up a hitchhiker. Several days later, Van Kylenborg's body found in a ditch south of Bellingham. She had been raped and shot in the head. Cook's body discovered under a bridge two days later. He had been beaten and strangled. Their vehicle dumped in Bellingham. He was a hunter. He was hunting for vulnerable victims so that he could do whatever he was fantasizing about. Even if you only have an inkling of an idea or something never quite sat right with you, or maybe someone you met through Instagram or Facebook said something that didn't sound right, please call it in. After over 30 years of dead ends, the new images, the best chance for finding the killer. It's hope. I mean, we have to have some kind of hope for even us, not just the families, but us. The victims' families are offering a reward of up to $50,000 for any information that leads to the positive ID of a suspect through a DNA match. That reward expires December 31st. Sophie. 
Ramina Dea reporting for us in Washington State. Ramina, thank you. Detectives executing a search warrant today on a home in East Vancouver in connection with the suspicious disappearance of a woman back in January. Officers at a home on East 15th Avenue near Clark Drive today, 37-year-old Su Yi Liang was reported missing on January 10th after she failed to pick up her children from school. Her car was later found abandoned a few kilometers from her house. Police have said evidence collected leads them to believe Liang will not be found alive. Anyone with information is being encouraged to come forward. Another difficult day in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, with yet another victim succumbing to injuries suffered in the bus crash. Family members of the team's trainer, 25-year-old Dana Bronze, confirming she passed away today. John Waugh has the latest. In a men's hockey league, athletic therapist Dana Bronze broke down boundaries and loved being a Humboldt Bronco. When everybody asked me, how are the boys doing? How are the guys doing? Are they, are they, are they good? Do, the, do they need anything? She was a big part of that team too. Bronze passed away Wednesday afternoon. Her family writes Dana will be forever remembered for her joyful smile and her passion and love of sport. Bronze, the 16th person to lose their life after Friday's horrific crash involving the Broncos team bus and a heavy tractor trailer. The bond between players and team staff brought to the forefront by this tragedy. He was riding the buses for all these years. For Broncos head coach Darcy Hogan, being present for his players was a higher calling. Helping kids out as they had difficulties in, the, in their lives as, as players. And when you're that passionate, I, I just would say he was born for hockey. I know that he was born to be a coach. Then there's assistant coach Mark Cross, who loved being a player himself, but soon found himself behind the bench. I know he wanted to give back, uh, and there's no better way than to, to coach uh, these kids, so it's, it's, it's tough. As the investigation into the crash continues, the trucking company's owner finally speaking out. I'm sorry for this one. I, I apologize for everything. Sukhmander Singh wasn't behind the wheel. The driver, he says, is about 30 years old and was about two weeks on the job. And the guys not sleeping well, no eating well. The guys like uh, go to the doctor, the guys came to the sleep well. The Calgary company's second truck also grounded indefinitely by the Alberta Ministry of Transportation pending the investigation. Singh says none of that matters now. One hour right off, one hour already I can park it. I don't want to drive it. I leave everything. For Chris Beaudry, the Broncos assistant coach who was driving just 20 minutes behind the team bus, being on the ice with their playoff rivals, an important step forward. You want to get back on the ice. You want to get in the office and take care of business. So um, hopefully he, he got a little bit of that and it was nice to see him out there. Hockey such a big part of healing, which is why the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League will resume the playoffs with the blessing of the Humboldt Broncos. John Hua, Global News. And a reminder, tomorrow is Jerseys for Humboldt Day to honor all those affected by the tragedy. A group of hockey moms from Langley created the campaign, encouraging everyone to wear a sports jersey of any kind tomorrow. Take a picture, hashtag it, Jerseys for Humboldt, and share it over social media to show your support. And if you share it with Global BC, we'll be posting some of the pictures on our website as well. More tonight on Alberta's promise to cut the flow of oil to our province, a move that threatens to make our high gas prices even higher. 
It's the latest development in a war of words between our two provinces over the Trans Mountain Expansion Project. Ted Trenecki now with more on the threat and whether Alberta can actually make good on it. As Albertans like to say to British Columbians, if you think gas prices are high now, just wait. This project is too important for our economy. This project is too important for our country. And so we would not let this project fail. We will be bringing forward legislation in coming That includes days, new legislation expected to be introduced into the Alberta legislature claiming to give Alberta the power to turn off its oil to B.C. if necessary. We are doing what reasonable governments do. We've asked for this issue to be dealt with through the courts. Uh, we're not looking for any kind of dispute. So if, and it's a big if, Alberta ever tried to follow through, one of the first to feel the impact would be YVR and its aviation fuel supply. Currently about 40% of it comes from the Burrard Inlet refinery through a 48-year-old pipeline. There could be increased rail tanker traffic, but that's already reaching capacity. And even Washington State's refineries couldn't help that much because some of its crude oil originates from Alberta and is carried on branches of the existing Trans Mountain Pipeline. The government might have some control over this, but if there are companies who are shipping stuff through those pipes. And those companies have no interest in having those pipes turned off because they want their product to get to, to the market. BC's minority government is doing just what it promised it would do in the last election, that is stand up for the environment. But that's not making friends anywhere, not even in Ottawa, where today BC was accused of needlessly bringing court actions where it has no authority. This is no time for any provincial government to be reckless with the financial well-being of Canadians and for the fabric of the Federation itself. But before you start hoarding gasoline, remember this. There is a dispute between two fragile provincial governments and they're both fighting for their political lives. No one has any incentive to back down. Everyone's facing an election, um, and you've got a province in the federal government pitted against a, a different province and a country that's divided on it, more or less 50-50. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on when Alberta could take action. Keith, what have you found out? Yeah, talking to Notley government officials today, I can give you the good news. It's not going to happen anytime soon. So the law is going to pass into the, onto the books in a relatively short time, probably in a couple of weeks. Nobody opposes it in the, in the Alberta legislature. Uh, but then it will be literally sit there in Rachel Notley's back pocket. She's going to pull this, play this card when she needs to. And until uh, she sees evidence that this thing's dead in the water completely uh, because of BC's action in courtrooms, uh, she's probably not going to play this card. So it's going to sit there on the books, sort of a, a sword hanging over the B.C. government's head uh, as talks continue with Kinder Morgan and between the governments. If there's an indication that Alberta and Ottawa are going to invest in this pipeline, an option that seems to be gaining momentum, then there's no need to play this card. But if B.C. is blamed for the ultimate demise of this, then that's when she's going to use the proverbial nuclear option here. But that's not going to take, that's going to be some time, I think, at least weeks, if not months. All right, Keith, we'll see what happens. Thank you. Yep. B.C. children are losing a powerful advocate. After just a year and a half on the job, B.C.'s watchdog for children and youth has given notice. Bernard Richard is stepping down this summer less than halfway through his five-year appointment. Richard says he wants to return to New Brunswick to be closer to his family. I talk to my father once a week. Every time I talk to him, he says, when are you coming home? So I think it's, uh, it's time. Richard maintains he told the committee he wasn't going to stay for a long time and considered the position to be transitional one uh, uh, after the departure of Mary Ellen Turpel-Lafont. 
After just one term in office, Surrey Mayor Linda Hepner has decided she will not run again this fall. Hepner joining a long list of mayors who are calling it quits. Grace Key has more on her decision and a possible replacement. I have decided not to seek re-election. Surrey Mayor Linda Hepner wants to spend more time with family, saying she re-examined the priorities in her life after a recent health scare. While they turned out after biopsies to be not important at all, you know, I really just thought, what is it that I need for the rest of my life? With the landslide victory in 2014, Hepner's Surrey First Party swept every council seat. She's been in public service for 33 years as a senior staff member, councillor, and now one-term mayor. I'm proud of the fact that in the history of this city, we have never had a more in increase in police officers, a stronger investment in transportation, potentially solve the issues that have been plaguing us at 135A, stronger economic activity in this city than ever in the history of the city before. Hepner joins a long list of mayors who are not running for re-election this fall, nine in all, leading many to wonder as to the reason behind all the departures. I think they have been at it for a long time. I, I think it represents uh, opportunity, but then also I think a some, some growing pains that fundamentally these are going to be jobs that people are going to have to grow into. The next step will be looking for someone to take a run for the mayor's seat. Councillor Tom Gill among those saying he's interested. We're going to have to work with our team and, and look at what that mayor candidate may look like. Uh, so I would suggest in the next several weeks we'll have some clarity. As for unfinished business, the mayor says she would have liked to help establish a stadium and arts centre, but is still confident this is the right time for her to leave. I want to give my heartfelt thanks to the people of Surrey for their ongoing trust and support. And it has been an honour for me to serve as your mayor. Grace Key, Global News. Airbnb hosts in Vancouver will soon need a business license to operate their short-term rental. And starting later this month, hosts will have to post that license online or risk a very heavy fine. Nadia Stewart joins us with the details on the new bylaws and how it's expected to affect the rental market. Nadia. Yeah, Chris, the hope is that combined with the empty homes tax, it'll push up the vacancy rate from 0.8%. Only primary residences will be allowed. But if your secondary suite is your primary residence, that will be allowed too. There are 6,600 short-term rentals listed in the city of Vancouver right now. Close to 90% are listed on Airbnb. We have signed a memorandum of understanding with Airbnb. It's the first agreement of its kind in Canada. An agreement now paving the way for legal short-term rentals. Under the deal, homeowners can rent out principal residences, but they have to pay the $49 licensing fee and post that license number in the listing. Secondary suites and non-principal residences are banned under these new rules, and any violators will face a hefty fine up to $1,000 a day for listing uh, a short-term rental online without a license. This is a new and critical component. We are now able to enforce by just um, the listing and not having a, a valid business license in the listing. Four new staffers will be responsible for enforcing the bylaws after council votes on them next week. By August 31st, all Airbnb hosts must be in compliance. 
Their contact information will be shared between the platform and the city. A big win for the city, who says this will make enforcement more effective. We also hope to, that it sets a precedent for the rest of Canada. Um, as a first-in-kind agreement here, we really hope that this can help other cities who are struggling with short-term rentals as well. The love that Airbnb has is going to put up a way for us to actually get registered, which is great because everyone becomes honest. Airbnb host Jackie Cassandi has been using the platform as an income supplement while she launched her business, renting a room in her rental apartment with her landlord's consent. She believes the rules address long-standing concerns. When you, you're going to take an apartment outside of, of rental and use it for Airbnb, that's not fair. And I think Airbnb admitted that, and we all as hosts could admit that. Well, there are other short-term rental sites, too, like VRBO. So, Nadia, what does it mean for platforms like that? Well, that's the question. The other platforms are not uh, signing a similar agreement yet with the city. The city says that they are in conversation with them, most notably in conversation with uh, Expedia, the Expedia Group, which owns VRBO. But we heard from Airbnb today they are encouraging the other platforms to follow suit and some sign some kind of similar agreement with the city too, Chris. All right, big developments. Thanks a lot, Nadia. In the meantime, three Metro Vancouver school districts are facing some questions tonight over the timing of their next Pro-D days. North Vancouver, Coquitlam and Delta's non-instructional days happen to coincide with the annual 420 pot protest. Jeff Hastings reports. These flowers at Sunset Beach have a little more than a week of life left. This is what's coming next Friday, 420. Last year, 40,000 celebrated cannabis culture here, an unpermitted yet popular event. Critics of the celebration are quick to point out the damage to the park and possibility of minors gaining access to the drug. He's almost got it. He's almost got it. He's almost, there it goes. And oh, holy. This month, North Vancouver and Coquitlam school districts have pro-D days the same day the Delta School District has a non-instructional day, April 20th. The April 20th professionally coincided with 420, and the committee that selected the date at each high school determined those dates last spring, and it was just a coincidence. Coincidence, but the North Vancouver School District has composed a letter to parents explaining the circumstances. Uh, unfortunately, the, the date has to be preset, and it's, it's passed through uh, policy, and we became aware of the, the uh, coincidence, it was too late to change the date. School District 43 hasn't responded to a request for an interview today. Earlier, I spoke to a representative of the Delta School District, and she told me that they have a non-instructional day in the third week of April every year. Okay, 420 organizers say their event is for adults, and that minors are welcome, but in the same way they would be to a festival with a beer garden. We don't sell them cannabis. Uh, every booth gets a sign saying, uh, you know, adults only, no minors. Uh, we have an arrangement with the VPD, which, with whom we have a very good relationship uh, about 420. And if they see any booths selling to minors, they've agreed to tell us so we can deal with it. The Delta School District doesn't expect many of its students to make the trek into Vancouver for the marijuana celebration, nor does North Vancouver. Jeff Hastings, Global News. West Vancouver police have impounded two more high-powered cars for excessive speeding. Police tweeting a picture of a McLaren and a Corvette, more than $400,000 worth of cars. This is where they ended up, the police impound lot. The owners were caught doing 150 in an 80-kilometer-an-hour zone on Highway 1. A 21-year-old Burnaby man and a 25-year-old Richmond man were each fined nearly $500 
and their vehicles seized for seven days. A miraculous recovery for an Okanagan golf course just weeks after it was devastated by a mudslide. The Fairview Mountain Golf Course in Oliver had been open for just one day when the hillside gave way, sending a torrent of mud and debris across five holes. An army of volunteers, many of them longtime members, removed an estimated 3,000 cubic tons of debris. We're all here just because we, we love this course. If you don't volunteer, it just doesn't get done fast enough. It's a good deal of camaraderie around here, and uh, I think we all want to get the course up and running again. The course was built on volunteers many years ago. just a tradition that keeps going here. The owners of the course say the wildfires of 2015 made the ground above the course unstable. All 18 holes are now back open. Looks like some good golf weather out there in the Okanagan. It does, yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But right now, with nearly half of Metro Vancouver renters struggling to afford the roof over their heads, tenants' insurance is often an afterthought. In fact, our rate of coverage is way below the national average. But our consumer reporter, Andrew, joins us now to talk about why we should be thinking about it. It's yeah. a lot safer, Anne. Yeah, it really is. And it could cost you if you don't have it. Thanks, you too. Numbers from Statistics Canada reveal a surprising number of Canadians, especially British Columbians, are taking a big risk. In 2016, almost 50% of Canada's 4.8 million renter households purchased tenants' insurance with each spending an average of just under $400 on annual premiums. But in B.C., only about 30% of more than 650,000 renter households bought tenants' insurance, with each paying just over $400 a year in premiums. I think it comes down to a misconception, not understanding the risk they face, how insurance works. It, it can be confusing. Now, we often report on fires where tenants have lost everything and have no insurance to help them replace their possessions. Experts urge renters to add up the value of their belongings and think about whether you could afford to replace everything or cover the cost of living elsewhere temporarily if disaster strikes. Insurance can also protect you from a big bill if you accidentally cause damage to a neighboring property or worse, if you get sued with no insurance, you are on your own. Whether it's a kitchen fire, you know, an apartment flood, what have you, those events are unforeseen. That's what insurance is there for. Uh, and really, we encourage individuals not to be that cautionary tale. Uh, there's nothing more gut-wrenching than people coming forward who unfortunately don't have insurance. Um, and it really speaks to the need for everyone to have this kind of protection uh, in their lives to ensure they're able to recover financially uh, after an unexpected event. Now, owners and landlords should have protection for the unit itself, but they are not required to cover the belongings of their tenants. The Insurance Bureau of Canada says it costs only about a dollar a day or around the price of a cup of coffee to insure yourself against disaster. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. An old bridge in Kentucky comes down in a thunderous controlled implosion. The bridge has carried traffic across Lake Barkley for nearly 90 years, but it's been replaced now by the new span you can see just behind it. Some startling new developments today in the case of that alleged serial killer in Toronto. Police say they're now going to search as many as 75 properties for more possible victims of 66-year-old Bruce MacArthur. And the former landscaper is now charged with a seventh count of murder. Global's Catherine McDonald has the latest. 
Well, a lot of new developments into the case of Bruce MacArthur, beginning with his court appearance around 9.30 this morning. That's when the alleged serial killer was told by the Crown Attorney that he was now facing a seventh charge of first-degree murder. Now, that charge is in relation to Abdul Basir Faizi. He was a 44-year-old married father of two from Brampton who was reported missing to Peel Regional Police in December 2010. Faizi's abandoned car was found just days later on Moore Avenue, quite close to the home on Mallory Avenue in Leaside where MacArthur used to store his landscaping tools and where police seized those planters, which they say contained the skeletal remains of seven individuals. Police now confirm that they have been able to positively identify the remains of six of the alleged victims from those planters. Police also say they will be searching about 75 properties associated with Bruce MacArthur, where he used to landscape starting in early May. They previously stated they would be looking at 30 properties with the canine unit. They also say they continue to work uh, on a forensic examination of MacArthur's Thorncliffe Park apartment, and they will continue to be there for another two to three weeks. They're literally going through that apartment inch by inch by inch. Floors, ceilings, walls, furniture, inside furniture, dresser drawers, uh, literally inch by inch. Another political bombshell out of Washington, D.C. today as one of the top Republicans calls it quits. And I just don't want to be one of those people looking back at my life thinking I spent more time with my kids when I know if I spend another term, uh, they will only know me as a weekend father. Paul Ryan saying he'll serve out the rest of his term but will not seek re-election. As you heard, the 48-year-old House Speaker who's been a steady, if somewhat reluctant, wingman for Donald Trump says he wants to spend more time with his family. Well, here's a new title holder for world's oldest man. Guinness World Records has recognized 112-year-old Masazo Nonaka of Japan, who was born July 25, 1905. One possible reason for his longevity, he ran a hot spring resort for years, where he apparently regularly soaked in the sulfur-rich water. Let's head to Harrison. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, there was a time when anyone living to be more than 100 was headline news, but not anymore. And as the number of seniors in our province grows exponentially, there are still questions as to whether we're ready for the challenges that presents. It's a remarkable group of seniors celebrating today. Nine residents at Mount St. Joseph Care Home are centenarians. The oldest, Wong Chu Kim, is 107. And you said she lived at home till she was how old? 104. The staff at Mount St. Joseph facing the same issues as care homes across BC, an aging population. 10% of the residents here are over 100, but half are over 90. Majority will say they didn't expect to live this long, but over time, uh, certainly parts of it are evolution, parts of it is good medical care. We are seeing people live way longer than any of us ever expected. Over the course of the next decade, Seniors in British Columbia will grow to become a quarter of the total population. It's being described as the silver tsunami. Some say despite decades of advanced warning, government simply isn't ready for this demographic shift. We're in a real challenge. Uh, The big challenge right now is the whole health human resources challenge is actually having enough people 
in British Columbia that actually work in seniors care and we're finding across the province whether it's in home care, assisted living or long-term care that we simply do not have enough staff. A big part of the reason BC seniors are living longer? They're living much healthier lives and able to live at home for much longer. But with long lives comes more expense and financially preparing for a life perhaps 30 years post-retirement is a major challenge. But the intensity of care is in the last two years of life, and that last two years just shifts. So it used to be between 84 and 86, now it shifts to 86 to 88, but we don't see that intensity over a prolonged period of time. At Mount St. Joseph, already big plans for next year's party. Joining the Centenarian Club, not at all uncommon. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Happy birthday to all of them. As Absolutely. Well. One of the biggest superstars in music is talking about her battle with mental illness. Mariah Carey revealing that she is living with bipolar disorder. The singer tells People magazine she was first diagnosed in 2001 when she was hospitalized for a physical and mental breakdown. She says she lived in denial and isolation for years until finally getting proper medical treatment. To jump into the, water, the perils of live television on full display for this reporter at the Commonwealth Games. That's coming up right after the forecast. We, I would like to say we've all been there, but no. I haven't been there. No, because you wouldn't step into a pool holding would a microphone, would you? I would not. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I was going to say a good team, guys. <laughs> all right, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at our forecast. Oh, what was that behind you, Christy? That was the lightning that we saw in Pitt Meadows last night. Thanks to Dave Cole, who sent that my way. Yeah, quite a th- thunderstorm rolled across Surrey and then over towards Pitt Meadows through. Um, it didn't last very long. It really was quite uh, moving quite quickly, but uh, around 10 o'clock is when they saw it. So thanks to everyone who sent us that. Uh, meanwhile, today was wet and windy, wasn't it? It was a pretty ugly day. We only warmed up to 10 degrees. We're going to cool off a little bit. Uh, that means the freezing levels are going to drop. We've had strong winds as well. Up into areas like Quadra Island, the strongest winds earlier in the day. They had delays in the ferries. It looks like everything, according to BC Ferries, is on track right now in terms of timing. And down through the southern Gulf Islands, the winds picked up a little bit later. So in the afternoon hours and about 600 uh, BC Hydro customers were without power on Galliano Island. The power's back on there. So thankfully, no one without power at this time. But this is what your day will look like tomorrow. Much lighter than what we saw today. So it was heavy with rain and wind today. Tomorrow you can expect maybe even a break of blue sky, but generally overcast skies and then scattered showers. There's a slight chance of an isolated thunderstorm, but I think generally you can expect just light showers throughout the day. But it will mean snow for the highways. Coquihalla up to 15 centimeters, the bulk of that overnight, and you can see the snowfall for the rest of the regions as well. There's your forecast for northern regions for tomorrow. So uh, similar conditions to what I was explaining across the south coast, mainly overcast skies, but you'll see some breaks of sunshine and then showery activity. In areas like Prince George, Quinnell, down through Williams Lake as well, so anywhere north of Kamloops, and then the eastern sections, Golden and Cranbrook, you will see some snow or wet snow overnight, but that will transition to showers during the day. Areas like Kamloops and Kelowna, we're really only talking about showers. The freezing level's at about 900 meters, so that will mean snow in the mountain passes. South coast, mainly cloudy. We'll see scattered showers throughout the day, a high of 10 
degrees and then the rain returns on Friday. It is going to be wet and windy once again. It looks like things ease off, but only a little for a weekend. And I'll leave you with this beautiful shot from Cedar in Nanaimo. So Cedar is one area in Nanaimo, and I have to go check that out because that's spectacular. Thanks to Tina for that one. All right. I love it. There's Squire. Almost picture like a horse-drawn carriage. Oh. Oh. Hey, Squire. We'll we'll give you a chance to run across the studio right now that we've cut away from Christy. All right. Again, live television, right? It's kind kind of a theme running through the show. BBC Breakfast television reporter Mike Bushell is becoming an international celebrity as his live interview with British swimmers at the Commonwealth Games goes viral. I have to jump into the water, actually. I've got to be very careful because I've got this sound pack on. After he carefully avoids getting his microphone pack wet, Bushell decides to get closer to the other swimmers. Ben Proud and James Guy, congratulations. Oh, I didn't see the step. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> well, that's giving you all a good night. Adam's inconsolable there. Just look before you get in a swim pool in future, okay? I hope you can still hear me. I'm going to have to get rather close and mind the step. <laughs> can you continue, Sarah? Because we want to talk about your goal. You don't want to talk about me falling in the water. <laughs> but everyone's, all the people watching here are literally on the floor. Ingram with a shot. He's Talk about a debut at 32, making the NBA's a dream many would have given up on, but not Andre Ingram. He hit the court with the L.A. Lakers last night, who signed him for the final two games of the season. And as you can see, he did pretty well. He got 19 points, blowing everyone away. Ingram is a part-time math tutor and has a degree in physics. He spent the last 10 years in the minors. Chance of MVP for him during that game. He was on fire. I don't know if he'll stay in the NBA, but he's got his story now. That's right. He's made it, and that's all that matters. Exactly. Uh, all right, the, um, the search for Stanley has started. Six of the 16 teams in the playoffs began their quest tonight for hockey's holy grail. One of them is one of the only two Canadian teams in the postseason. Toronto's in and so is Winnipeg. And they have a chance to go far, actually both do, although the Leafs have a tough time with the Bruins coming up. As we said last night, the Jets have not won a playoff series since 1987. You know when that was? That's when your favorite band, Sophie, was Lisa Lisa, Lisa. and the Cult Jam. It, when you were lost in emotion. Oh, yes, I remember that one. Go. I'm not going to sing it for or you. Or head to toe. I want like. people to watch. Dustin Bufflin. Dustin Bufflin laying on the hit, just like Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam used to. I feel like oh. you're the big fan of no, Lisa Lisa. And the no, I just like the name. I was it was someone named Lisa Lisa, or were there two Lisas? There was no. There was Lisa, who called herself Lisa Lisa. Okay. Yeah, she wasn't like a. She didn't have a friend. It wasn't like Lisa. It was Lisa Squared. No, it wasn't Lisa Squared. That was Mark Shifley scoring to make it one nothing. Whoops! Now it's two on one. Granlin Parise. Two on one makes it two one for Minnesota. But the Jets have the sniper, Patrick Laine. Erases Minnesota's lead, and now the Jets are up 3-2 late in the third period. As for the other game that started early, Matt Murray and the Penguins going for a three-peat. They've won the last two Stanley Cups. They're up against Philly. It is Brian Rust. 1-0 for the Penguins. And then watch this goal by Jenny Malkin. He's got the puck. He's on the move. That's around one. Now he goes around a second and backhand goal. One more look. Malkin goes all the way. And that's what makes Pittsburgh dangerous. They have Malkin 
And then they also have this guy. Sidney Crosby, three goals tonight. Check out the score. Pittsburgh wins it by a touchdown for Mario Lemieux. 7-0, and they lead the series 1-0. Royal Bank Cup. It'll be hosted this year by the Chilliwack Chiefs, but the Chiefs haven't played in a while. That's the thing when you're the host. You have a lot of time off sometimes, so this has kind of been like a second training camp for Chilliwack. The last meaningful skate for the Chilliwack Chiefs was a month ago in the opening round of the BC Hockey League playoffs. Chiefs battled the Prince George Spruce Kings before bowing out in seven games. It's not exactly the ideal playoff run for a team hosting the RBC National Championship come May. Obviously, uh, no player wants to lose uh, first round, especially when you're hosting this and you got to take a nice little a break. But uh, yeah, my mindset was obviously we were crushed, but we re did realize we were hosting the RBC Cup and we still had a championship that we could contend for. And that begs the question, how does a team keep itself focused, in shape, prepared, and game ready when it's basically been idling on the bench while everyone else is chin-strapped deep in playoff mode. We have a, a six-week uh, plan, and well, the first two weeks is basically conditioning and um, with an inter-squad game in there. And then uh, the next phase, it's a little bit less demanding. Um, then we'll get into our, our systems and execution of um, how we want to play. Here's a chance in front, Pickering curls, he scores! Finding that winning edge for Chilliwack means reaching out to other teams in other leagues, such as last year's Memorial Cup winning Windsor Spitfires. The major junior franchise suffered the same bitter taste of an early playoff defeat, only to rebound later on down the road and win it all on home ice. You get a second chance again come playoff time, that doesn't happen for many teams. No, yeah, it's very exciting. I think that uh, it's once in a lifetime, like I said, and, you know, the boys are going to seize the moment, and, you know, hopefully we bring a banner back for Chilliwack. So we get that second chance, and it's a tournament. So, um, you know, our message to the guys is, you know, not too many players get to play in this tournament, and uh, you're very fortunate, and uh, we want to give our best effort. Ronaldo Real Madrid won their first game 3-0 on the road against Juventus. This is the second game of this series, and Juventus scores Mario Mandzukic, and they would erase that 3-0 lead. Blaise Matidi, 3-3. Now it's all even. Look at this. In injury time, is that a penalty? It looks like a penalty. But uh, Jean-Luigi Buffon, the uh, Juventus keeper, doesn't think it's a penalty, and they think, you have complained enough. Get out. Red card for him. Who's going to take the PK? It's Ronaldo. Real Madrid wins. And yeah, who doesn't have abs like that? Seriously. See, the problem with getting abs like that is then you have to keep it up. Who has time to keep it up? Well, look at this. Jordan Zimmerman. Oh! Line drive off the face from Jason Kipnis. He's down. Kipnis upset. Take another look. I'll tell you, that's why pitching is dangerous. But he's the hitter. No, he did not. Bruised cheek. That's it. No concussion, no nothing. Talk about a tough guy. Hey. And we want to give a shout-out to a new Canadian swim star who emerged at the Commonwealth Games in Australia. Taylor Ruck tied a record at that Games with eight medals. Now, she's from Kelowna, but she only lived there until she was one year old. Then her family moved to Arizona, where she's been ever since. One gold, five silver, and two bronze. 17 years old. There you go. Glad she's swimming for us. Yeah. I like the, uh, I like the uniforms they're wearing. Yeah. It's good. 
support production. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Well, it just started appearing on a Victoria-area beach seemingly out of nowhere. Whimsical sculptures made of driftwood and seashells. Global's Kylie Stanton has tracked down the man responsible and discovered that his hobby is showing signs of turning into a career. Just the way it is, sitting on a, a treetop. How it's done is just the first question. It's just something else. Who's doing it only adds to the intrigue. Nobody even knows, like... Today I'm going to make a swan. The tools come out and the work begins. Yeah, these are both part of the body. One piece at a time, this art comes to life. It's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together. You just keep trying different pieces, see what looks good, stand back. And take it all in. How amazing. The bald eagle, a horned owl, the nesting raven, and a pair of Canadian geese. They are fantastic. But only a closer look answers that burning question. You want to know who this person is. <laughs> Meet Paul Lewis. This is a hobby. Just a hobby. <laughs> the 46-year-old who splits his time between working in Alberta and living here has always had a creative streak, but usually focuses on acrylic paintings. Driftwood is a new medium he took up only a few weeks ago, seeing beauty in the sticks and shells washing up on shore. Maybe that too. And now others are seeing it as well. People want pieces for their houses and, and uh, one lady wants some killer whales um, as a memorial piece. Someone wants an eagle. It could be the beginnings of a lucrative career, but right now sitting back quietly and watching this, this is art, is the real reward. Especially when they don't know who I am. <laughs> and they're just like, this is so neat. He's like, I wonder who did this. And was like, yeah, it was me. <laughs> Kylie Stanton, Global News, Colwood.